Well, good morning, church. How are you? If you're not good yet, I got nothing for you. All right. I mean, come on. Guys, that's amazing, uh, and it is incredible uh, to be able to watch our kids not just perform, but to lead us in worship, and what a gift that is to us. Uh, hey, as those baskets are continuing to be passed and those are being taken up, uh, let me know, let you know about some other giving that we are doing as a church. If you were back here with us uh, in September, we had our Give United campaign uh, where you guys gave over a quarter of a million dollars over our budget uh, that we were able to pour out on our community. Uh, what we didn't tell you is that during that month, we actually got an additional very large gift in the month of September. Uh, and we made a promise that anything extra came in, we would be pouring out. And so over this past month, we've actually been pouring out even more. And so today uh, we get to announce that we want to address a couple needs over the Christmas season. One of those is food insecurity. Uh, we obviously work with ACFS uh, in a lot of different ways, but this week uh, and over the past couple weeks, we have given another $25,000 to the Brother Brian Mission, the Foundry, uh, and the uh, Food Bank of Central uh, Alabama, Greater Birmingham Food Bank of Central Alabama. Uh, total between those three organizations, $25,000 is going to go to meals, helping out during the Christmas season and beyond. Uh, and that is really just due to your generosity. And we've got more to give in the weeks to come. And so thank you for your faithfulness. It is having impact in our world around us. And it's amazing. It really is. Uh, also, before we jump in, want to let you know about our Christmas celebrations. We're in the beginning of Advent, uh, but Christmas Eve will be here in just a few weeks. Uh, and want you to make sure you're making your plans to attend. So it is one of those weird years uh, where Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday. Uh, and every pastor and church team has been figuring out, what are we doing with that? So here's what we're doing with that. Uh, we will be doing two different kinds of services on Christmas Eve, the 24th. On Sunday morning, that Christmas Eve day, we are going to have one Sunday morning service at 9 a.m. So this service will be exact same time, exact same place. There will be no 1045, uh, but it will be our normal Sunday morning worship. It'll be the fourth day of Advent, and I hope that you'll come with that. It'll be family. Uh, there's no child care and stuff. We're all going to be in here together, uh, but just one big service at 9 a.m. Then in the afternoon, we will have our Christmas Eve services, uh, and these are our candlelight services. We're actually going to move communion up to that morning service, but we will still be doing candlelight at 3, 4.30, and 6 p.m. And look, these are always very well attended. Uh, and so we would love for you to be there for both different services. I know some of us are traveling. Uh, you may want to come one or the other. But look, we will have our normal celebration at 9 a.m. And then a very different but also a short 45-minute Christmas Eve celebration at 3, 4.30, and 6. And so if you've got any questions about that, let us know. We also have some cards available. Uh, they're available out here over at Connections. If you want to invite your friends and neighbors, man, grab one of these cards. It's got this information on there. You can pass that out to them. Maybe you just put it in the mailboxes of your neighbors, hand them out to coworkers and say, hey, love for you to come and worship with me and my family. Come to this service, whichever one you're going to. Invite your friends and neighbors to come be a part of it. Uh, but I am very excited about all of those celebrations. I hope you will be making plans to attend. Uh, but now grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Matthew chapter one. Uh, Matthew chapter one, verse 20. And hopefully you've got a copy of God's Word there with you. If you do not, you'll find some friendly people nearby uh, who I'm sure will be happy to share with you. Maybe you've got a device you want to look that up at uh, on as well. Matthew chapter 1 verse 20 is where we're going to be in just a moment. Uh, as we begin our celebration of Advent. 
These are the four Sundays leading up to Christmas itself. And so we are marching towards this moment where we fully celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ into our world. And look, it is a celebration. This ought to be a time of joy. This ought to be a time of celebration. And we find lots of ways to celebrate during the Christmas season. Uh, but, but let's be honest. There are different kinds of celebrations. Uh, undoubtedly during this season, you guys are going to go to a party or two, right? Uh, there are office parties, there's Christmas parties, there's, there's all kinds of parties that we're going to be a part of, celebrations. But when it comes to these kinds of events, these kinds of parties, there, there's two different kinds of celebrations, all right? There are celebrations in search of a reason, uh, and then there are reasons for celebration. You ever notice that? Uh, sometimes when we get together, we are just looking for a reason to get together, some of our parties are like that. We've got a lot of weird, strange rituals now when it comes to Christmas, and you can have a party for any reason whatsoever. There's the tacky Christmas party. There's the dirty Santa party. There's all these different things that you can go to, which basically is just an excuse to get together. We want to get together and have some fun, and that is great. Enjoy that. Celebrations are fun. But when it's over and you want to celebrate again, you've got to find another reason, right? You've got to invent another reason to celebrate. That's a party in search of a reason. But sometimes you celebrate because of the reason. Uh, think about a wedding. Uh, think about a graduation. Uh, think about all those pictures we've seen of just the ending of a war where literally everyone dumped into the streets and they are celebrating, right? They're throwing a party. When you go to a wedding, a graduation, something like that, we are celebrating an event. We are celebrating something that has happened that is worthy of celebration. But here's the best part. When the party's over, the change stays. When the party is over, you don't have to look for another reason to celebrate because if you just got married, you're still married. If you graduated, you are now a graduate. If the war is over, you get to enjoy the peace. The reason that started the celebration now can continue on. And so here's my question as we walk into Christmas. Which type of party is Christmas for you? When it comes to your particular celebration of Christmas, are we just looking for a reason to celebrate and we're happy that Christmas is here so we can think about that? Or do we have a true reason to celebrate that will last far after the end of the Christmas season? Our goal this season is to find the joy of Christmas that can last. So before I even jump into Matthew 1, let's look at uh, Luke chapter 2. You may be familiar uh, with this story, but on the night that Jesus is born, uh, an angel appears to some shepherds out in their fields. Uh, and I'm going to put this one up on the screen. Uh, you can show this one here. Uh, an angel shows up to these shepherds and they are startled. And listen to what the angel says. It says, and the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All right, notice this in verse 10. Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And so it is the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ. But that news ought to bring joy. It ought to be celebrated. In fact, in just a moment, a whole host of angels will join this angel. They're all partying. They're all celebrating. They can't contain themselves. There's this joy that exudes from them, exudes from them. And this is for all the people. This is the joy of Christmas, that Jesus Christ has come into our world, that in him there is salvation, that everything has changed because Jesus Christ has come. This ought to bring joy in our life, should it not? 
But I've noticed this over the past few years, and I don't know if you've noticed this in yourself. I've noticed that when it comes to our celebrations, sometimes we miss this. It seems to me that sometimes uh, the central reason of our joy in Christmas, the, the central reason for Christmas has been pushed to the edge, and the things that were on the edge have now been pushed to the center of our Christmas celebrations. And this can happen without us knowing it, right? Because there's so many things to celebrate at Christmas. We find ourselves way more involved in the stuff on the fringe instead of the things that are there in the middle. And yes, this is the time where I'm going to do my semi-annual rant about Christmas inflatables. All right? <laughs> if you've been here long, you know that this happens every few years. And I'm going to have to say, I mean, let's go ahead and look at that. I mean, look, I mean, you can have too many. You really can't. Now, let me just go on record in saying I am pro-inflatable. I know people don't believe that, but I actually am. I'm not anti. I'm just confused by it. Um, but I don't know. Some people don't get that. Here's what happened last time I did this rant. Uh, the Sunday or the Monday after uh, Sunday, I came to my office, uh, and here's what happened. <laughs> So there's uh, uh, thanks as always to Matt Powell for that. Uh, so uh, I'm a little interested to see what's going to happen Monday. Uh, so uh, look, I, I mean, look, they're fun. They really are. But, but when it, it, inflatables are the place where I'm going, what are we even doing, right? What are we doing at Christmas? Because there's things I just, I don't understand. There's a Christmas dragon. Why is there a Christmas dragon? I don't know. This, is, this has been happening for years now. This is not even like a new thing. It's like year four, the Christmas dragon. Why is there a dragon? I mean, then there's, there's, there's a minion. There's a Christmas minion. I don't know why he's celebrating. He's a fictional character. Uh, here's a Christmas taco truck. I don't know why. I did not know they had those in the North Pole. Why, why is that there? Here's a Christmas Santa and a deer stand. I don't know. This is what, I mean, the, the, the reindeer is very nervous. Very nervous. How do you tell the difference between a deer and a reindeer? I bet he doesn't know. He's concerned. Santa, watch out. All right, here's another. Here's Santa on his off time catching a marlin. Why? I don't know. Christmas in Florida. I guess you got that going on. Uh, and then here's Christmas. Uh, here's Santa in the bathtub. This is just inappropriate, is it not? I'm, I mean, this is not okay. I took that picture at our Walmart here in town. I right, look. I mean, this is, you're just like, what is going on? When it comes to, infl please take it down. All right, so, um, I, I mean, you just, what are we doing, Right. And you're just like, look, I'm just looking for a reason to party. Look, it's Christmas. It's a, it's a weary world. It's a dark world. It's, it's chaotic. And we are just craving something to bring us some joy, some mirth. And we will grab onto anything. And look, the inflatables are fun. They really are. But here's the problem. They're not going to give you lasting joy. They can give you a chuckle. They can give you a moment of laughter, but they're not going to give you deep and abiding joy. But that's what Jesus can bring at Christmas. And so as we walk into this Advent season, man, enjoy all the fringe stuff, but don't miss the center. Don't miss the actual reason that can bring you joy. And that's why we want to jump into Matthew chapter 1 this morning as we talk about the joy of the Emmanuel, that God has come to be with us. If you're not familiar with the Christmas story, uh, when Jesus Christ is coming, the Lord appears to a young teenager named Mary. Uh, Mary was already engaged, and he says, Mary, you are actually going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. You are going to conceive of the Holy Spirit. You are going to have the very Son of God, which she is overwhelmed by, obviously, 
but she's willing to follow through and says, Lord, be it unto me as you will. Uh, and so she is willing to go through this, but this is confusing not only to her, but to her fiance, uh, Joseph, uh, who finds this a very fanciful story when the woman he is in, uh, betrothed to be married to, uh, he finds to be pregnant. And so in a lot of sorrow and brokenness of heart, he is just going to divorce her quietly. Uh, but look what happens to him. This is Matthew chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 20. It says, But as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And let's stop right there. I think for many of us, uh, this might not be true for some of you, but for many of us, we have grown up hearing these Christmas stories. In fact, we, we preach through a lot of these Christmas stories every single season. And so these are familiar stories. And that's helpful in one way. It's also dangerous in another in that we can kind of grow accustomed to them. Here, we hear this word, Emmanuel, and then we get a translation from Matthew where he says, which means God with us. Now, if you've heard this before, you go, yeah, I know that's what that means. It means God with us. But stop for a moment and, and think to yourself, why did he just translate that for us? The word Emmanuel is a transliteration of the Hebrew. It's actually just a Hebrew word. Emmanuel means in Hebrew, God with us. Well, most of Matthew's readers are Jewish. He's not going to translate every single word. Joshua or Yeshua, Jesus means the Lord saves, but he's not going to translate that one. But here he actually goes to the extra mile, if you will, and translates it for us. He doesn't want anybody to miss it. Even though his Jewish readers would already know what this word means, he wants every single reader to know. And when he quotes Isaiah 7 here, he says, this is the Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because this is shocking. This is overwhelming. This is world shaking. This breaks everything. Do you realize that we actually mark all of our time by this event? You and I live in the year 2023. 2023 years from what? The birth of Jesus Christ. Lost or saved, we all base our calendars on this one event. You can try to cover it up with BC, BCE, if you like. This is what we mark time by. It is split history into the fact that God is with us. God, not just an emissary, not just a prophet, not just a leader, not just a, a servant, not just a miracle worker, but God himself somehow in the flesh. He is with us. He is present. He is breaking into our reality. He is literally coming to be right alongside of us. And he's not just coming to a few of us. No, he's coming to us, all the people. The transliteration, the translation ought to show you he's not leaving anybody out. This is not just for the Jews. He says, no, this is for everyone. Do not miss it. God is with us. Us. And when you and I grasp the magnitude of that miracle, it actually does bring joy to us. And so to understand that magnitude, we're going to have to take a step back for a second and really look at the sweep of, uh, of the entirety of, of biblical history from Genesis to Revelation. Because this concept of God coming to be with us, this has been God's desire from the very beginning. Go back to Genesis. 
When God creates Adam and Eve, everything is perfect as it is supposed to be. He puts Adam and Eve in a garden, and then what happens? He dwells with them. He lives with them. He walks with them in the cool of the day. He talks with them. They experience unbroken communion with God. This is what God designed us for. This is what he made you for. If you're contemplating and trying to figure out why are you here, what is the purpose of your life, this is what God made you for. He made you in his image that you might have a relationship with him. Period. End of story. That's your purpose. And so when he puts Adam and Eve in the garden, he dwells with them. But this did not last nearly long enough. They rebelled. They sinned. Just like all of us. And with that, they broke fellowship with God. They were expelled from the garden. But even though that relationship was different, God never stopped pursuing them, never stopped talking to them, never stopped reaching out to them because his desire, his design was unchanged. It would be that we would dwell with him. And so when God creates the nation of Israel, they find themselves enslaved for 400 years, but God is going to save them out of slavery. He takes them into the wilderness and he says, listen, here's now my purpose. You are my people. I will be your God. And look what it says here in Exodus now, chapter 29, verses 45 and 46. He says this, I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Now, did you catch that? That's a purpose statement. Here's why I saved you. It wasn't just for me. I saved you that I might dwell among you, that I might be with you. This word literally means to tabernacle. That word's about to become very important. But he says, I'm going to be right here in your midst. This is the goal. And so as they walk through the wilderness, God lets them create this tabernacle. It's kind of a portable temple. And then after that, when he moves them into the promised land, they built a permanent temple. And the temple was built in a very specific way. God directed all of this. But here's what the Israelites found out. Uh, dwelling with the Lord was easier said than done. It's not an easy thing for a sinful people to dwell with a holy God. And even though the Lord was right there in their midst... You couldn't just rush right up into the presence of God. In fact, that, that didn't happen for almost anybody. If you wanted to get close to the Holy of Holies, God's presence would rest in the very inner sanctum of the, te of the temple. Uh, and the Holy of Holies, his presence rested above the Ark of the Covenant. But, but you really couldn't get that close. In the temple complex, first off, there was a, the court of the Gentiles. Right? So people like us, non-Jews, you could get in, but not very far. You could basically just kind of enter in and see what was going on. And that's about as far as you would get. After that, there were restrictions on those who were blemished. All right, so if you had any sort of deformity, any sort of bodily uh, problem, you were not allowed forward. I would not have been allowed any farther than this level. I have janky eyes. I do. All right. I've been wearing these glasses since I was two years old. All right? And because of that, I would have been expelled. I have a blemish. Therefore, I could not enter in any farther. Beyond that, there was the court of women. Women could go a certain space. Beyond that, the men could go a little bit farther, but not too much farther. After that, if you wanted to get any closer, you had to be a priest. If you want to get into the holy place, you have to be of the priestly class. You have to be a priest. But if you wanted to get into the holy of holies, that wasn't even good enough. You had to be the high priest. One guy to get into the holy of holies, and he can only go in one time a year. It ain't that easy to get into the presence of God. 
And so even though he is dwelling amongst his people, there are all these barriers. Adam, what is all this rigmarole? And that just sounds weird and and kind of exclusive. And, And what is it even showing us? It's showing us the problem, the inadequacy of our own holiness, that you and I just are not prepared to to be in the presence of God. And our own morality is never going to be good enough to get us close enough. We can try all we want, but we will fail every single time for any number of reasons. We will not find ourselves there in the the closest place, the holy of holies, with the Lord until the Emmanuel. Do you see the magnitude of what Jesus does? When Jesus Christ is born into our world and now the angel tells Joseph, here's your name. You're going to call him Jesus, but this is a fulfillment of the prophecy. Here's his other name, Emmanuel. God is with you. That is mind-blowing because Jesus has now broken through all of the barriers. When Jesus Christ comes into our world, think about it. He doesn't care about any of the barriers. On his own initiative, he is now coming to us. We're not coming to him. He is coming to us. And he says, Jews or Gentile, I do not care, man. They're all there. He's going to send word to the Magi in the east. He's going to say, I mean, holy or unholy, I do not care. Tell those shepherds out in the field, they can come in. Male and female, you got Joseph, Mary and Joseph right there, blemished and unwhole. He says, I do not care. Bring them all in. Priest, non-priest, don't care. I am coming to be with everyone. It is now God with us. This is his design. And look, it gets even better. As Jesus is, is beginning to, to walk towards the cross and right before his crucifixion, he, he tells us what's going to happen next. He tells us about the Holy Spirit. And so now look what it says here in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. All right, now this has always been interesting to me. He says two things at the end that are basically the same thing. But now do you see why that wording is so important? He's going out of his way to say, God dwells with you. It's the same language from Exodus. It's the same thing he wanted to do in Genesis. But he said, I'm gonna put my Holy Spirit in you that you might have a relationship with me, that you might know me that you might dwell in my midst. This is his purpose. And you and I actually live in that reality. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in you, he dwells with you. And this is actually his design for all of the future. Because as you and I now move past us and we look on into the future, we see the future and what God has already decreed and what he designed and what he's going to bring about. In Revelation chapter 21, we looked at it a couple times this year. Listen to what it says. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Catch that. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. 
Now look, if you've been tracking with us, we just got done uh, with a grief series talking about the reality of suffering. What does it look like to grieve? And for many of us, we land here on these verses. This is what we're looking forward to, where grief is no more, where pain is no more, where suffering is no more. But don't miss the verse before it. Go back to that first slide, if you will. Look what he says at the end. He will dwell with them. The dwelling place of God is with man. They will be his people. God will be with them as their God. Do you see what has happened? What God designed all the way back in Genesis, what he proclaimed in Exodus, what Jesus is doing in the Emmanuel, what he's doing in our lives and what he's going to do in the future. It is the culmination of his ultimate desire that God would be with us. See the magnitude of the Emmanuel? of what he is bringing to us, what he is offering to us, and why that ought to bring us joy. And so especially for those of us who are Christians, especially for those of us who maybe have heard the Christmas story uh, an untold number of times, who feel like, Adam, I've heard these, if I've heard any part of scripture, I've heard this over and over and over again, and don't miss the joy. Don't assume that we just got to go to the fringe to find some sort of temporary joy, some temporary pleasure to get us through the Christmas season. No, get back to the center and let Jesus bring you the joy of the Emmanuel. You say, well, what even is that joy? What is he, what is he giving to us? Well, there's a few different things I think he gives to us. When you and I recognize that he is the Emmanuel, it reminds of this. You are not alone. You're not alone. Look, there's an epidemic of loneliness in our culture, is there not? We're more connected, so-called, than we have ever been. And yet people feel more alone than they've ever been. There's more people on the planet than there has ever been. And yet we feel more isolated than we have ever been. And for many of us, we, we just feel alone. Which is weird because the reigning philosophy of our culture is radical expressive individualism. Adam, that's, that's a lot of words. You've heard it in a different in the other phrase, though, when people simply say, you do you. That is the theology of American culture. You do you. And a theology it is. Because the God at the center of American culture is us. We idolize ourselves. When people say, hey, man, you do you. What are we saying? We're saying you create your own identity. You create your own morality. You create your own reality. Whatever you want, that is true for you, man. Whatever you feel, that is absolutely true. Don't let anybody tell you different, man. You create your own thing. You do whatever you want to do. And in the short term, this is incredibly freeing. Man, it's incredibly intoxicating to say, man, I can do whatever I want. Man, you do you. I'm going to be me. Man, we're all going to do our own separate thing. Man, I can create whatever I want. I don't have any restrictions. Nobody can tell me what to do or who to be or what to be or where to be like. Or There's no authority. I get to create everything. And in the moment, while the world is going great for you, this feels awesome until your life falls apart. And all of a sudden, this philosophy flips on you. Because you see, you do you flips both ways. What happens when your world falls apart? What happens when you find yourself in the midst of circumstances you cannot control? What finds yourself in a place where you find yourself confounded by your own desires and your own choices and you don't know how to fix it? Do you know what the world will then tell you in the midst of your brokenness? Hey man, you do you. Guess who's there to fix it? Nobody, just you. Guess who's the only one you can turn to in this situation? There's nobody. It's just you. You got to do you, man. I'm doing me. 
Everybody's doing their own thing. There's nobody to appeal to. There's nobody to look to. It's all on you. And that is crushing, is it not? That will destroy us. When all of a sudden this so-called freedom turns into slavery and we find ourselves crushed underneath all of these circumstances, what do you do? Well, you run to these fringes. We, we paper it over. We numb out. We, 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 we try to distract ourselves with all of our scrolling and our, our frenetic activity and, and all these different things. We find some sort of addiction to make us feel good for a short period of time because we cannot bear the truth of what is actually there. Here comes in the joy of Christmas. You are not alone and you are not forgotten because God is with you. There is an Emmanuel who in the middle of your darkest night says, I've come to be with you. There's an Emmanuel who comes to you not on your best days, but on your worst days. An Emmanuel who comes to you not when you got your life all figured out, but when you didn't. When you were blemished, when you were unholy, when you were not the right person or the right nationality or the right, uh, or the right morality or anything. When you and I were all wrong, God enters into that darkness and says, I am with you. You haven't been forgotten. You're not alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. You don't have to be all by your lonesome. The Emmanuel tells us, Christmas tells us, there's this joy of saying, you are not alone in the midst of your distress. What an amazing joy. And look, this is why the very birth of Christ is so important. This is not religious mumbo jumbo. It's not some weird story about just an angel appearing. Maybe it happened, maybe it, not, it didn't. You think, no, Jesus was born in flesh and blood. He didn't just give us a vision or a dream. He says, no, I came with real flesh, real blood into your very real reality and your real problems because I bring real solutions. That's what Jesus Christ brings. He is with us. You're not alone and you're not forgotten. Here's the second thing. It means he's able to help you. Christmas means he's actually able to help you. Look at the words. It says, God is with us. The God of the universe is with you. When the Lord sends you help, he doesn't just send you a messenger. He doesn't just send you a sermon. He doesn't just send you, send you a good feeling. He doesn't simply send you a, a platitude. He says, no, I am sending my very self. I am coming myself to your rescue. I am coming myself to help you. God has broken into our reality, into our brokenness, into all of our stuff. And he says, I love you, I care for you, and I absolutely will help you. Look, if it's all on you, you've only got your own strength. You've got the strength of whatever you can cobble around you from the world, maybe from your money or your power, your influence, or whatever it might be. But all of those things will fall short. But what happens when you have the God of the universe on your side who says, I can help you. And look, this is where even for, for many of us as believers, uh, we can get turned around. I see this sometimes where, where the central is, is moved to the fringe and the fringe is moved to the central where we say super ironic things, where we recognize the Christmas story and most of us in this room would say, Adam, I believe in what the Bible tells me. I believe that Jesus Christ comes at Christmas, but we find ourselves still worried and confused about these other things. And so we say crazy things. We say, yeah, I know that Jesus uh, conquered death itself, but is he really going to get me the presence that I want? That's what we're worried about. He conquered death itself, but I don't know if he could. Yeah, Adam, listen, I know that he actually conquered all of my sin uh, and he actually paid for all of my sin, but can he actually get me out of the financial problem that I found myself in? 
Listen, I know that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. He literally broke into reality, died, rose again. But does he actually have the power to solve the relational problem I find myself in? Do you hear the irony? Do you see what we're doing? We're not turning to the Emmanuel. He's not just God. He's the God who is able to help us. So whatever particular darkness you find yourself in this year, whatever particular issue you find yourself in this year, turn to the Emmanuel who says, I'm still with you. I am here in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your chaos and your confusion and your hurt. Do you understand? I didn't just send you a message. I came myself to come and help you. That ought to bring joy. That ought to bring relief that the cavalry actually has come, that you can be saved. Because not only can Jesus handle your pressing problems, he will handle the deepest problems. He will handle the problem of our sin. We're going to talk about that in just a couple weeks. But Jesus Christ can solve all of these things because he is the God who is with us. But then here's the third thing. The Emmanuel gives us hope. It gives us hope for the future. Does anybody else get um, uh, seasonal depression in January? Anybody have this problem? I have this problem every single year. I love Christmas. It's great. I love all the Christmas lights. It's awesome. The first week of January is terrible. It's horrible and I hate it. Why? Because everybody puts their lights up. And guess what? It's still dark at like 2.30 in the afternoon. It doesn't, sun doesn't come up until about 1 p.m. in the afternoon, Right? You're still stuck in this never-ending winter, but there's no lights. There's no Christmas to look forward to. We already ate all the food. And we feel bad about that. We got, well, now we got to do, now everybody's going to the gym as if that's fun, right? <laughs> January's terrible. Hey, January. But look, if all you have is the celebrations of Christmas, if all you have is the Christmas parties, if all you have are the carols, if all you have are, are the, 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 the minions, if all you have is the stuff, listen, that's great. It'll get you through a couple weeks, but in January, all the same problems are still there. And then what do you do then? Man, it crushes back down on you like a vice. We just got more debt from all the presents. We got more weight from all the food. Now we just got more problems to deal with. But what if there was hope that lasted far beyond the celebration itself? Remember that wedding celebration? You celebrate at the wedding, but after the celebration's done, you're still married. You still get the joy of all of this. You graduate, you've got the party, but guess what? You still get to enjoy the fact that you're graduated. I mean, the war is over. You still get to enjoy the peace. Okay, far after our Advent celebration is over, we get to experience and enjoy the long-lasting nature of Jesus Christ in our life. Honestly, every single Christmas turns into an anniversary. A wedding is really almost like the very first Christmas. It's like the very first celebration. But, but after that wedding, every single year, you have this anniversary. And what are you celebrating? You're celebrating the fact that the marriage is still going, right? You've got another year. It's still going. You celebrate what has happened, what is happening, and the expectation that it will continue to happen. It's yet another unique anniversary. Every Christmas is an anniversary where we say, God is still with me. And guess what? Because he is with me, it is proof positive. He will continue to be with me until the end. Because remember what he said? There's coming a day when I will wipe every tear from every eye. No more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, no more death, no more cancer. No more chaos, no more suffering, no more sin, no more temptation, ever more. Does that not sound good to you? 
Every single Christmas points us back to the miracle that God is with us. That also points us forward to the greater miracle that is coming that you and I will dwell with him forever. Do you know what that means? It means every problem you and I deal with right now is temporary. I know it doesn't feel that way. When you've been long-suffering, when you've been dealing with things not for a couple months but a couple years, when you're dealing with losses and they come back at Christmas and you say, Adam, it's been 10 years and you still feel the loss. You say, Adam, it doesn't feel very temporary. But it is. Because there comes a day when Jesus Christ makes all things right. He didn't come and leave. He says, no, I came and then put my spirit inside of you as a deposit, as a guarantee that I'm preparing a place for you. And one day, all of these trials will be over and you and I will be together as it was meant to be forevermore. That is the hope he gives to every single person. You will not find that in worldly Christmas celebrations, but you will find that in the celebration of the Emmanuel who is God with us. Amen. So one final question. We now know that God is with us. Here's the question all of us have to answer. Are you with him? Are you with him? It's not a question that he is with us. He has broken into our world. He is reaching out to us. But remember, it's a relationship. And more specifically, it's a love relationship. And God's not going to force himself into your life. He's not going to force himself upon you. He offers himself to you. And he invites you into a relationship. And the question that you have to ask, you can't rely on somebody else, is this. Are you with him? Are you ready to turn to the Emmanuel and say, God, you are with me. God, I do need salvation. God, you are the only one who can provide it. I need you. What if this Christmas you focused your heart, your mind, your life on the Emmanuel and found the joy of knowing that he is with you instead of trying to do all this by yourself? I guarantee you that's a much more joyful Christmas. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes where you're at. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd love for you just to think about that for a moment. Do you believe that he's the Emmanuel? You know the word, you've heard the story, but do you truly believe that God has broken into this world through his son Jesus Christ for a very particular purpose is that he might dwell with you. And he will handle all the problems of our sin, our brokenness to make it happen. He will die and rise again to make it happen. And even right now, at the beginning of our Christmas celebrations, he's inviting you not just into another ritual, not just into another habit or, uh, or tradition. He's inviting you deeper into a relationship with himself. What would that look like? What would that look like this season to make sure he's the center of my celebration, that we put our hopes and, and focus on him this season? What would that look like? What if we didn't settle for the ephemeral joys that the world offers this season? Instead, we found the true joy that can come through his son, Jesus Christ. And so Heavenly Father, thank you. Long before any of us were born, you had already made a salvation for us. You made a way for us. You came after us. Lord, we look back through the lens of history just to, to see this amazing moment where you broke into our reality to break reality, to make it anew. And Lord, we've 
tasted the first fruits of that. We have the promise that we'll see the fullness of that. And Lord, I pray for every single person here, especially those who feel lonely, who feel broken, who are tired of trying to lift up this weight of doing everything on their own, that they could truly see your desire that we might be with you and that you might be with us. Could you help us, Lord, to receive you as the Emmanuel this season? We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray.